Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Supported by thegeldedend.com. To browse and buy vintage lead shirts, player signed prints, and classic memorabilia, go to thegeldedend.com. The Square Ball. By the fans, for the fans, since 1989. To buy the magazine, read the blog, and to download the podcast, visit thesquareball.net. So Leeds United are not going up, but then QPR didn't seem to be enjoying it on the last day, so maybe we're not missing all that much. Change is coming at Ellen Road, though. Naylor's gone, Higgs is gone, and our first new arrival has been revealed. Oh, it's Ken Bates. We've been away for three whole weeks, but now we're back. Welcome back to the final podcast of the 2010-2011 season. And he's back from Spain. He's now sober and he's an entire year older. Welcome back, Michael Normanton. Hello. It was your birthday on Saturday. It was indeed. 27. Wow. Uh, happy long. birthday. Sorry, that's miles away. Yeah, thanks Thanks for all your presents, lads. What did you bring Not us from Spain? <clears throat> Moving on, right, we can also hear the voice there of Moscow White. Hello there. And welcome back to our day. Hello. You ruined my holiday anyway. Uh, you ruined it for yourself. <laughs> that's true. You ruined our podcast. Yeah, I listened back to it and I was a little bit drunk sounding. We, we had about a good half dozen lovely sober, intelligent, erudite, well-spoken callers. And you. <laughs> I don't think it was helped by, there was a bit of a delay on the Skype as well, because I kept hearing me going, uh, and just starting to talk halfway through other people. No, it's because every time we thought you were going to say something, we, we jumped in because you were pissed. <laughs> so, what's he going to say now? Anyway, so let's hawk off our wares for one final time this season. Um, issue 10 of the Square Ball magazine went on sale for Burnley, and it promptly went off sale at Burnley because we sold the lot, which was great. So uh, big thank you to you if you bought a copy of that down at Elm Road. It is still available, but only in digital download format now. You can get that at thesquareball.net. Right then, we were 44 matches into the season last time we uh, spoke on the podcast, so two more matches to go to round up the season. Unfortunately, the playoffs weren't to be as we pretty much suspected. So rewind a few weeks then. Seems like ages ago now. Burnley, 1-0 home win. And we spoiled the Champions Championship party. 2-1 at QPR. Burnley, first of all, then. I thought Burnley was a kind of performance that we should have been putting in in uh, January and February. Solid 1-0 wins, getting rid of a playoff rival without too much difficulty. Enjoyed Ross McCormack's goal. Enjoyed the fight. Enjoyed the... <laughs> um, 
um, the lap of honour at the end. Enjoyed all the um, interpretations of the uh, of the players' body language as they were going around. Like, oh, Casper's brought his kid on. I think he might be leaving. <laughs> Snodgrass is dawdling. He's probably, you know, he might he might be getting sold. He's probably fully fit. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, it was a good. A good day. It was a shame that it sort of all came down to nothing. It was the performance we were looking for at Palace, really, I think. Typical case of too little, too late. We find form just when yeah. it slips just through our fingers tantalisingly. Yeah, it doesn't matter anymore, so we'll give them a Cormac a game and we'll uh, everyone will play well and we'll win convincingly. You say everyone, Painter made a I don't well. think Painter was too bad. No, he wasn't Burnley. too bad. At- it was probably on the on the Painter scale. This was uh, his best game of the season, I think Burnley was. It was, actually. Him and McCormack had... Uh, I wouldn't say that they were the partnership that's going to set the championship on fire. Those buses still haven't arrived, have they? He what? promised us when we spoke to him at the White Rose Centre <laughs> that once that first bus came, there'd be many buses. Bus being a metaphor or a simile for goal, are we thinking? Yeah. yeah. There was a, bu- a bus at Preston. It's been stuck there since. <laughs> <laughs> Do we think, regards to Billy Painter, he's become this year's scapegoat, as we thought he may be, stepping into the boots of, uh, of Beckford as he did? Is any of it justified? Well, he's only scored once, so to a certain extent, yes, because he is a striker who's not scored goals. But it's proven that he's not that good up top on his own. Stick him up front with someone like McCormack, someone to work with, work off, and uh, he looks and let more them u- score the goals. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he looked more useful, didn't he, with someone alongside him? He didn't look like he was lost. Well, he did at QPR. <laughs> yeah, Burnley weren't that good defence-wise. We could have had a few more. And Payne, I did have a couple of chances that were. Yeah, I was going to say he could have had a few more if he'd scored them. Is it is he good enough? Is is he good enough? I don't think we've seen what he can really do. He didn't have a pre-season. He's been injured all year. He had, he hasn't actually played all that much. If you look, I looked at the. I'm a bit obsessed with the minutes by minutes at the moment. Becchio plays some like three thousand minutes. David Sommer twelve hundred minutes, and then McCormack and Painter got about seven hundred minutes each. And McCormack only scored once, and he played just about the same amount of time. I think there's more of a perception because he's a big scouse lump with no discernible qualities. Are <laughs> <laughs> you defended him, eh? I am a little bit. You kinda... just, but you've just called him a scouse lump with no qualities. <laughs> and it stands out more just how bad he is when he performs. <laughs> he's the best scouse lump with no qualities that we've got. Since Robinson left, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Do you think he's earned the chance at a full pre-season and then hit the ground running if he can next season? Because obviously he was out with injury, which disrupted his uh, the early part of this season. I suspect we'll have no option because he's yeah. got a three-year contract. Yeah. Nobody's going to buy him. <laughs> so we'll just have to cross our fingers and hope for the best. Well, I mean, we will come on to the um, the ins and outs and, and so on later on, but you've seen with Neil Collins that if Grayson thinks that better quality is available, he's prepared to make the trade-off, isn't he, if he thinks somebody better is going to come up. So if, and he's not going to get rid of Becchio, is he? So if somebody comes in who's physical up front, he might, you know... Yeah, but Sheffield United have been relegated now and they, they can't buy all our players off. <laughs> so that was the thing. We were all amazed that someone came in with an actual cash offer for uh, for Collins. So maybe Lightning will strike twice. You and never Col- know. And I have a dreadful feeling that Painter may be on reasonably good wages since he came on a free... And a three-year contract as well, so he's got two years left. I think, I mean, as a as a backup player, I don't have a problem with him. I'm glad that we we hopefully next season we won't be. I don't want him to be our big main striker ever, but I don't mind him <laughs> being around. And I don't think he's maybe as bad as uh, the way he plays. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Right on on to QPR that we've mentioned it. Russell McCormack hitting the back of the net again with some well some help ish. 
But wasn't it good for us to go down there and just be such spoiled sports? Yeah. He hit the bar with a rocket that deserved a goal. That was a beautiful shot. It was. Well, it was rather prophetic of the, uh, the article of the player-by-player reviews that we did in issue 10 of the square ball. And I wrote the one for Ross McCormack, I think, at the end. And I said, you feel there's more to come. And then there was against Burnley and there was against QPR. It looks like he should be useful, provided he sticks around and he gets played. And also I wrote the one for Casper and I said, isn't as good as he thinks he is. And that was <laughs> the case within 30 seconds as well. <laughs> he did one thing against QPR. Let's just pick on him. Uh, he did one thing against QPR that really annoyed me where he, he, was, um, he was shouting at the defenders for not defending a short corner. And he was still shouting at them when the cross came across. And so they had a free header and he, he was nowhere near saving it. It just went wide. And it was like the, the cross was always interrupting his, his big long rant at Kilkenny in the corner. And he's like, stop shouting, start keeping goal. Don't know. I'm just moaning about Casper Schmeichel now. Really and he's relevant. just got his first call up anyway. So. <laughs> yes, well, we're Congratulations. <laughs> well done. We'll be able to, uh, when Brighton come to Elland Road next season, we'll be able to. We should maybe make them race or have a keep off. At half-time penalty competition or something. Or maybe they could um, they could swap shirts at half-time and see if anybody notices. <laughs> <laughs> just go in, the, go in the wrong goals, just play a crazy jape on somebody. I was about to say Casper Schmeichel would have to grow a moustache and disguise himself as Ankergren, but then Ankergren never actually had a moustache, did he? I just, I always just like imagined, a dirty fuzz. I just always thought he did. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> maybe since he's been in Brighton, maybe he's grown one, haven't he? <laughs> <laughs> just stop drinking before a match, that's probably a good idea. So Paddy Kisnorbo, back on the scene then, made a, a very nice return. Very much a token gesture, possibly a tiny bit pointless, but, you know, it was one for the fans, wasn't it, and for his confidence. It's nice to see him on the uh, subs bench with his headband on, ready, geared up to go. Was it confirmed whether that was just a f- thing for show, or does he still need that? It's a fashion thing. It's for show, Come isn't on. it, yeah. I remember when I, in, I think it was 1986, when the, in the run-up to the World Cup, and it was when Gary Lineker had broken his arm and I faked an arm injury so I could have a bandage on my arm like Lineker. Which game was it Becchio played um, when he came on with a, a Paddy Kisnorbo-style bandage around his head? I like Thomas Brolin's condom yeah, head. Yeah. Do you remember that? that was good. But yeah, Paddy's back. Hopefully he's not broken completely. Let's be honest, he didn't, he didn't look good, but he's not played for 14 months. He so. won one header. The first thing he did was he got above Horidison or somebody, I think, somebody much bigger than him. I just headed the ball like 30 yards back towards QPR's goal and that was... That well, was everybody collect- collectively winced as his knees landed on the ground. He, <laughs> Don't snap. I was a bit concerned that we were playing him because I mean, there's no point apart from, oh, isn't that nice? There was no point risking him. And I, th- I thought it might have echoes of Radaby's many returns where he, he continually just broke down at the first thing he did. I can only imagine it wasn't a risk. I, they, they must have got him to the point where... They knew that nothing bad would happen. Whereas with Radaby, it was always kind of you were you were desperately wheeling him out because <laughs> Kilgallen and Gregan were, uh, were. Didn't, didn't um, Paddy make the bench for Burnley? He was in the squad. Was the squad get on the bench. bench. So I think just going back to the Radaby comparison, I think that's because Radaby was made of porcelain, but I think um, Paddy Kisnarbo <laughs> is made of titanium. He's also he's younger. Yeah. And is is this his only bad injury? No. It's, Oh. He was badly injured at Leicester as well. It was a different injury. Right. Yeah, because with Radaby, it was always just his knees that were constantly failing him. If there's a variety of things wrong with him, then <laughs> I'm it's sure the whole fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come on to the uh, return of Naylor and his subsequent departure in the next part. But um, interesting that Paddy's going to be earning himself a chance at a contract next season, whereas uh, Dickie Naylor's on his way. He's five he, years younger. But yeah, but he, sh- he shored things up, didn't he? Did, uh, did Naylor. 
he ended the season really well, which he had to do because he started the season terribly. <laughs> but then again, so did most of the defence. Yes, they did, and we sold most of them. Back to the game, though. It was good to ruin the day to a certain extent. I think they were waiting for their day to be ruined, really, weren't they? They didn't. They didn't look especially happy, did they? No. Yeah, but Warren did say before the game that that was a game he wanted to win, and for some reason there was it was some kind of payback for the game up at Ellen Road, which I don't lost, seem to remember. We lost the game, so we're yeah. going to beat you. And then after the game, it wasn't about the result; it was just about the day. So. He'd claimed that there was spitting in the tunnel at Elland Road when QPR played, which was the first I'd heard. But um, at the players or just on the ground? What? Just general, just, just general spitting. You know what he's like about manners, Neil Warnock. He, he's in very insistent. But um, there's a lovely video on YouTube of the um, QPR celebrations of them all running on the pitch to celebrate their so championship the strange, at the end. Strange dancing man. That yes, appears. and heading straight for the Leeds end, and just like there's a guy, there's a photograph of a guy dropping trousers and showing his ass at the Leeds end. It's like, and the Leeds fans. Um, to their credit, singing uh, "We're Leeds United, We Don't Give a Fuck," which I think summed up. I think that's, the, got, uh, that's got to get chant of the year. I think I also <laughs> enjoyed uh, your party shit, and so are your fans. Yeah. <laughs> Is it because I mean I remember the uh, we think back a year to uh, when we beat Bristol. I didn't even notice that there were any away fans in the ground at that, and certainly when I was on the pitch at the end, didn't care. I wasn't about to go over and stick it to Bristol Rovers. Like, hey, what do you think of that? Not relevant. But yet, for some reason, QPR seemed more more astonished by seeing Northerners in their ground than they were about winning the league. I also liked the the BBC when they were doing some crowd shots and it panned to a woman who looked really miserable and seems to be holding a bin bag. <laughs> and this was meant to be in, in these scenes of celebration. And they, they cut away from her after about two seconds because they, they thought, hmm, that's not quite the, the scene of joy that we were looking for. We also got to have mentioned the wonderful moment when uh, Tarapt got booked for Descent and it had been off camera <laughs> yeah. and nobody could work out what it was and Martin Keon, who has got to be oh, the worst of I've just, all. I've just scribbled down the words Martin Keon on my piece of paper as I'm, I'm tapping the desk angrily with my pen. Ironical. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be ironical he said at once I, I tw- I, sorry I tweeted in the second half that at one point during that match it would not have surprised me if he hadn't said the words come on QPR he was leaning so much in that direction what I loved was this was they were obviously looking around for whatever severe incident had sparked Adult Rap to kick off and they go oh we'll get a replay of it here and you see there's a bit of a tussle oh there's going to be some afters and then it just cuts to a uh, Neil Kilkenny sticking out his lower lip and just going, oh, blue, 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 blue. Oh, blue. and you Martin Keogh, Keogh just going, uh, oh, we can, oh, this, we can see what's, oh, that's, that's, well, that's not very nice. Sure. And then they just had to go quiet because they didn't know what to make of it. A round of applause for Neil Kilkenny for doing what I think half the league has wanted to do so adult to wrap all season. <laughs> As always, we'll start this section off with news of the ins and outs from Ellen Road and the Maybes, of course. Uh, transfers in, nobody as yet, because all the out-of-contract players won't be signing anywhere till 1st of July. There's some hopeful news from, hopeful comments from Simon Grayson, though. He says, uh, he says we'll bring, direct quote from the Evening Post, we'll bring some good players in on freeze, and hopefully not too many bad ones. So that's the transfer policy Lucky laid dip. out for the yeah. summer. <laughs> system. <laughs> well, going back to last summer, it's eh, evidence for it. It's kind of how it generally works out for every... Um, who did we bring in that was good? So, no, wrong one. Um, <laughs> but we didn't find out until quite late on. No. We did sign a good player, didn't we? Oh, Schmeichel. Schmeichel. So for every Schmeichel, there's a, there's a Bassoni. For every McCormack, there's a Painter. Well, the McCormack wasn't free. So it's early days yet in terms of the recruitment. In terms of those going out, 
plenty to get through. The Loney's all gone back. Bannon and uh, and Livermore, as expected. Looking back on those two, we did speak last time to some extent about them being mistakes. Badly timed. Not the right players at the right time, do we think? I think if you were going to bring in someone like Bannon, who I think is genuinely going to be a really good player, you've got to look to put him in in the right position. Whereas we just sort of went, ah, he's all right on the left. He can play in Kilkenny's role, but actually he was more suited to Houston's position. And Johnny never gets dropped. It was no, noticeable as well that when um, we stopped messing about with Bannon and Livermore and just went back to Houston, Kilkenny and Johnson, we started looking really good again. Yeah. Beat Burnley, beat QPR. So it just seemed like a, a bit of a pointless exercise. Um, it seemed a little bit desperate. But then we both, again, they both went back early as well. Yeah, we were crying out for a midfielder, weren't we? And yeah. we got midfielders and they weren't the ones. These are not the droids we were looking for, unfortunately. But we're in danger of repeating ourselves from last time, so let's not do that too much. Watt's now gone back to Arsenal, being fairly evasive uh, via Twitter about whether he'll be returning or not. His comments basically that they'll all return for pre-season uh, in July and then Arsenal will, will, will yay or nay it. Yeah, he'll do good, what Wenger Good says. luck with that. <laughs> Again, we didn't really see enough of, of uh, Sanchez what to make a proper judgment on him, did we? Because he spent a lot of time injured, but early season he was showing some promise. And last season as well, he's always looked good. Um, but he said himself that he he tried to come back too early and buggered his season up. I remember reading an interview with him in March sometime, and he was saying uh, he just kind of had to put this one down to experience, and he'd learnt not to bugger his whole season up <laughs> in future. But last so. season he came; he was the lone signing that inspired us. He was he gave us that extra bit of spark in. And every time on he came on, he, he's always looked have a little bit more than than uh, than your run of the mill. Billy Benz. I was going to say Bradley Johnson, but <laughs> yeah, I like what I'd have him back. I think his problem is that he's an attacking midfielder who's not especially good in front of goal. From what I've seen, he's not very accurate accurate with his shooting. He agrees as well because he retweeted somebody saying that if uh, if Sanchez Watt could shoot, he'd be a, a great player, and he retweeted it in agreement. So <laughs> he had a couple of chances against Burnley as well. Where if goal difference had been important, that there could have been chances that could have lost his playoffs. Really, we'd have had to take him out. Uh, one loan signing that was a universal success, without doubt. Everyone's kind of universally um, approved of him. Eric Lehigh, please come back. Yeah, a minute, I thought you were going to say George McCartney. <laughs> no, he's he's my saving the best to last one. But yeah, Lehigh, good player, very happy, great contribution. Who yeah. was the last Aston Villa fullback that we wanted back? Did this happen last season? Oh, Halloran going... we borrowed, borrowed, didn't we? And, um... No, but there's some Shane Lowry. Played. Shane Lowry, Lowry yeah. We was were... he really at Aston Villa? Yes, yes he so. was, wasn't he? He still is. He's at Sheffield, Sheffield United. United. Yeah. He's on loan there, isn't he? I thought they'd signed him. Oh, maybe they have. They are stupid enough. We, we, we know little about, we almost know as little about football as Mickey Adams. I think. <laughs> it seems like every year Aston Villa is going to dangle a really good loan player in front of us. This season, Shane two, Lowry was bloody awful, by the way. <laughs> oh, Lowry was all right, wasn't he? He was terrible. It was absolutely crap. I've got his pictures on my wall. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> no, you've forgotten. Not to everybody's taste. I'm thinking but... of someone else. Shane Larry was awful. No, I mean, maybe I'm getting. Confused. I'm, maybe I'm thinking of uh, of the good Dickinson from Stoke. The mad, the... the mad Dickinson, Carl. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was good. He was nails. Okay, left backs. Whilst you're on that topic, a not so fond farewell to George McCartney. Expensive George McCartney. Unloved George McCartney. Got a really squashed looking face as well. I don't know if I mean. Tired George McCartney as Pug-like well. Pug-like and tired to, uh, George McCartney, yeah. Our chairman. Do you think he was a little bit, just on that comment in particular, a little bit harshly done to? Because there seemed to be some tired legs in that squad. Yeah, I think it could possibly have been just been an off-the-cuff remark, that just an, a general overview that games are taking the toll on some players, which everybody clearly saw they had. I think as well when the player that's closest to you on the pitch is Robert Snodgrass. 
And you're going to think, God, everybody is knackered. Every time I give the ball to the winger, he just looks like he's going to fall over. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too bad a thing to say. But as Ken thought, rightly pointed out, he'd not played for six games or something, so... <laughs> no surprises yeah. to see him left out against QPR then. He can't have been tired in February when he was rubbish, so... But is, is there a case for mental tiredness, though? A case for mental stupidity in McCartney's case. I wouldn't say I tiredness, know. I'd say weakness, if that's his case. <laughs> yes. If just playing a number of games makes him go mental. <laughs> he's not He's not good enough to be a footballer, clearly. Well, is, maybe there is a psychological element to it, because he quit international football only days after proclaiming he was so glad to be back in the Northern Ireland squad. So something's not entirely right there, is he, it? He knows he can never fill Nigel Worthington's boots at, at full-back. Concrete boots. <laughs> <laughs> Farewell to McCartney. I think it's safe to say he's not coming back. We hope. Well, no, I suppose Bates has burnt that bridge, hasn't he? Yeah. So. Again, it's probably one of the few bridges that Ken Bates has burned that um, we don't mind too much. Yeah. But, you know, we thank him for his contribution because he wasn't all bad. Contribution? He was bloody awful. Okay, so Thank him for pissing all the Arsenal Cup money, TV money away. Yeah. And his wages. All right, fair point. Um, One who has made the exit, Shane Higgs. Decent servant to the club, looked really good um, when he first came in. Yeah, real shame about his injury. The start of last year, I thought it was brilliant. And then he obviously went out and Ankergrun put in a few good cup performances. But I I thought for the start of last season, Higgs was the best keeper we'd had in years. Whoever signs him is going to get a good keeper. Um, it's just where he'll play a whole season for them, I guess. But um, and you he, he haven't heard any um, egotistical star whinging from him at all this season. He's just done reserve keeper, which I think was his job, wasn't he? At Wolves for years, where he was reserve. It was, not, it was at Cheltenham, then he was yeah. he had a year at Wolves, and but off the back of that, he was, Grayson was recommended to sign him, even though he'd not played. Mick McCarthy said he's a, he's good. <laughs> he's he's yeah. a good backup. Yeah. Quite handsome as well, Shane Higgs. One for the ladies, yeah. one for the mums. I'm going pretty far somebody else's first team. Or reserve team. Best looking bench in the league. <laughs> right, so, bam bam. Sadly, we have to say goodbye to Captain Fantastic. Richard Naylor being released at the end of his contract. Um, I feel a bit sorry for him, really, because I kind of think it'd be like someone saying to me, you can't be a Leeds fan anymore. That's it. It's the end of you being a Leeds fan. You can't do it. You're not allowed. Go on. Off you go. We'll come on to the season ticket prices later on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I feel a bit sorry for him as well, particularly as he's uh, coming at the end of this season and looked one of our better players. But if Grayson said to him that he's not going to get regular football, which is what's been hinted at, I think maybe he isn't the sort of man who wants to sit around in the reserves and only, only coming on as a sub for the last 10 minutes. It is weird. I mean, if you're taking a straw poll of Leeds fans in November or something, everyone said, Naylor, finished. And nobody expected him ever to play for us again. And he came in. Uh, the last few weeks and was absolutely brilliant. It was like the old nailer again and suddenly it's like, well, why aren't we giving him a new contract? It's like, well, three months ago we wanted him sacked. So it's... it's The fickle nature of football fans. It is. And I think um, the fact that he's... I think what's done him is if he'd had this end of the season and he was a year younger, probably have given him another contract. But 34 is just a little bit too far and, and you got to wonder whether he would be able to keep that up for a, a whole season and if he can't and I'm, I'm guessing he's on probably on decent wages so captain of the club yeah should it seems be. it seems sensible I guess to uh, you know from a purely monetary point of view just to let this one go and then hopefully bring somebody in of a decent standard well the way uh, Glenn Snowden talked about him in um, in an interview it sounded like he's there is not a man on earth who would be able to do He's a, gi- Richard, a giant of a man. He said um, he had cannons in those arms of his and just basically credited him for holding the whole club together over the last three seasons. And like, He's the reason why none of our players ever get into trouble. He's the reason why there aren't um, arguments behind the scenes at the club. He's the man who 
will cure cancer. He's the, <laughs> Is the that, man that, yeah, with the golden touch. That he could still have a role at Le- Leeds United. And have something to offer. Does he want to play still though? And this yeah. is maybe the sticking point. You can't just say that you're going to sit around and be and cheerleader, break up very, fight. A very well, expensive yeah, cheerleader, headmaster, almost. But. I kind of got that when we went up to speak to him at Thorpe Arch in the summer of 2009. Michael, I, I kind of got that impression that he was like the the dad of the squad and you know no nonsense, laying down the law, sort of. Yeah, he's, we both came away with the impression that he was definitely the sort of man we wanted at the club. Um, and certainly was, when he first arrived, he was exactly what we needed when we'd come from the soft defence of Mikulik and, as I say, Paul, Te- Paul Telfer. Do you remember him? Mm. Yeah, oh, yeah, we did, yeah. yeah. Good times, good times. <laughs> so I, I think he goes with everyone's best wishes. Is and, the- and we can't let him go without mentioning that challenge on Rooney. Oh, well, there's a bit of challenge more than the salt. That's what I liked about it. <laughs> the only shame was that he got up <laughs> yeah. from it. Is the only sort of final big worry in terms of Naylor exactly that, that will miss his character perhaps more than his footballing abilities and replacing him, that's the bigger task? If his replacement as captain is Housen, then there's going to be a gap. If Kisnorbo maybe is going to be the one to, to take over that role, um, if not, then I think that's one of the things about Leeds United in recent seasons is we're short of strong characters. Ball breakers. Yes. And so letting one go is a bit of a risk. So we need to bring one in. That's the three. Sorry, that's the uh, the transfers. That's the transfers out then. The unwanted, we've just touched on him before, Bassoni, seven games in a in a white shirt or whatever it was, <coughs> and they've decided they've seen enough. Charlton seemed to like him. He's on the transfer list now and so and Charlton have been sniffing around saying if the, the, if the financial terms can be agreed. And they always worry when somebody has to go to the papers first and say, if we can work out the money side, you think, oh God, what are we paying him? <laughs> what are we asking for him? Cause that's, yeah, because that's um, how we ended up with Sheehan for years, I'm sure, is that we couldn't find anybody to take the uh, wages on. So Is this maybe a comment on the, the character thing again as well, that he came in? You know, do you remember the interview during the season where we said, oh, I kind of really regret it, it's my own fault, I should have, you know, given it more and got used to it, and it, another sign of another weak character that... Well, if he's gone to Charlton and played well enough that they want to sign him, then he's obviously not had that bad of a rest of the season. Admittedly, I haven't been glued to Charlton's um, highlights to to see how the left-back's doing, but maybe he's he's turned it round. Maybe he has a future in London. I'm sure he's not going to retire just yet. So, Mike Greller, we feared for Mike's future. He's been put on the transfer list. We didn't see that one coming, did we? Yeah, I don't know what happened to Greller. He seems an awkward character, from uh, certainly from what Paul Hart said about him, that he basically threw his toys out of the pram because he got dropped for a game. Arguments at Carlisle uh, as well. Schmeichel camp, I think he's... Thinks he's a lot better than he is. Well, but at least Michael's got the ability to back it up and, and a bit of evidence. Yeah. You know, he's played in the Premier League, and you think maybe Grella does just need to suck it up and cut his teeth properly and prove himself for half a season. Yankee, go home. That's what <laughs> needs to happen. <laughs> Get yeah. out of our leagues. Go play in the MLS. He'll be amazing. Bloody everyone looks good over there. <laughs> Old Cherry on Reno. He's about forty-five, and he's still. Best player in the league, so I'm sure Grella could go and uh, do something. But yeah, refusing to go to Bradford and Oxford because they were a division too low, and then going to Carlisle and he argued with Greg Abbott and scored a couple of goals, and then going to Swindon and then packing it in because he wasn't playing. Do we uh, need that? We don't need it, do we? No, we've had enough. I've got again. We've no. got plenty of strikers anyway, and Billy Painter, of course. Yep. Uh, oh come on, that was a that was a bit of a low. low blow. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Billy. Uh, Buses will come. <laughs> His bosses might come one day. Um, Mike Greller on it, waving the <laughs> stars and stripes. 
uh, someone who's staying. It's uh, ten gallon hat. Someone who's staying, uh, which will please a lot of people who like exotic footballers. Ramon Nunes turned it on for Scunthorpe towards the back end of the season. Leeds have now taken up the option to extend his contract by a year, and it could be a good year for him to prove himself because he looks like a decent player. Yeah, from the from the brief highlights of him, I get the feeling he is a bit of a highlights player because he does like cracking in long-range shots. Like we said, good on YouTube. Off the bench player. But yeah, I mean, if he's done it at Scunthorpe for a while and that's in a bad team, you would only hope that he'd become better when he when he's able to get more of the ball. So he's in midfield with Halston and Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> My only fear is that he's not going to get used enough. You know, He needs to have a, a little run of games, doesn't he? Or, you know, at least a start followed by a bench appearance and maybe, another, you know, against some of the lesser teams maybe. That's if we're going to rely on him. If we sign three really good midfielders and I couldn't give a toss what happens to him um, he can be a reserve and um, and with my best wishes um, plus he gets extended stays in Honduras every time they've got a game so he disappears quite often to get away um, if my job involved me going to Central America for every now and then um, I'd have an easier time getting hold of the drugs that keep, <laughs> keep me going from day to day. I was, I was just thinking that sounds like the lifestyle of a drug baron but you know so <laughs> So I don't think we need to worry about Raymond's future too much. These podcasts don't run themselves, you know. <laughs> but all, I, I mean, a bit of flair would be nice, and um, and he's, he's got that. Whether he's got the kind of things that Grayson and Snowden also look for in a midfielder, whatever they may be, remains to be seen. But yeah, give him another year, no problem. We found him; we should keep him. And I like the look of him. He's a little barrel-chested. Uh... Long-range scoring foreigner. We can't let <laughs> we can't let all the good-looking players go. I mean, if Higgs is gone, we have to keep the other. Is Ramon good-looking? You just describe in your you opinion. Just, you you Lava, were just Lazario. What a, what part of barrel-chested foreigner were you well, saying that we're a right in, mess? Though. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Square Ball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. So with transfers out of the way, let's press on into the rest of the news. Then something. Not that significant, but we like to keep tabs on the whole Twitter scene with the footballers. Andy O'Brien's deleted his Twitter account. Do we know any reason why this has happened? Not from him, but um, Paul Dews was being asked about it and who is essentially Andy O'Brien's boss when it comes to public relations. He said it was just about couldn't be bothered with the hassle and abuse, frankly. I think it was after the Palace game. He was getting a lot of... Uh, just. I mean, I couldn't... If you have a look, you can have a look on them. Um, Twitter at what people are, are tweeting at a certain person, and um, it, it's not always the best segment of loving humanity that chooses to communicate with um, a footballer via their Twitter account. And I can imagine that twenty-four hours, seven days a week of people telling you that you're a shit defender could probably get trying after a while. So turn it off. Kevin Davies has done it as well. Um, who's a former teammate of. And the O'Brien at Bolton, who were uh, just said, can't be asked with all these idiots. If only Robbie Savage would <laughs> take the hint. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got to wonder if Robbie Savage maybe sets the standard because he welcomes that kind of thing. And so, because he is kind of the captain controversy. Yeah. And so everybody thinks that everybody else is the same. And um, some like um, Andy O'Brien's main business. I remember when he first joined up and he's, he was doing um, Sudoku, Sudoku, sorry in bed um, and getting people to help him with crossword clues and things. He was all quite mild-mannered. And then if you look on the flip side of, of what people are saying back, it must be difficult to get the answer to 17 across while somebody's telling you to... Head the ball better. Yeah, basically. 
And I mean, there's the Casper Schmeichel approach of calling everybody a wanker one by one, but um, <laughs> you know, it depends on who you're dealing with. I guess he can't be bothered. Is it just sort of a general lack of self awareness from footballers? I think they shouldn't be surprised that they get some abuse on there. I mean, they get plenty of abuse from the stands, both from their own fans and from opposition fans. And then all of a sudden, when the well, it's because it's an unprecedented level of access that people now have. You actually can footballers don't publish phone numbers and email addresses because. Instagram, this, this kind reason. of yeah. stuff would happen and all of a sudden they're out there with a little picture and a little tick by the names so this is definitely who it is and you think right I'm going for it but then again <laughs> Harry Kewell, you oh, just yeah. wait well we'll come on to him in a second but is is it as well that um we're in an era where footballers are becoming more distant from the public that they're you know that are watching them as well so you've got this closer level of access yet the footballers are becoming richer and richer less harder to associate with where imagine if this had happened in the 80s your era Moscow um, if we'd had this sort of you know one-to-one access to footballers, then fear of BBC school microcomputer. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, imagine that pretend scenario. Things you get a feeling that things would have been a little bit. Yeah, I think part of it. I know what you're getting at is that the perception we have of footballers has changed a great deal. But somebody like Andy O'Brien, I'm thinking as well of um, Lloyd Sam, who's quite active on there. A lot. They just seem like fairly nice, mild-mannered, uncontroversial people. Lloyd Sam every weekend tends to post a picture of the Sunday roast that his friend has made for him. And it's just like, that's what loads of people do all the time. Footballers and, roasting, oh, God. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, but if you, if that's, if the reaction is, if it's, oh, all these people have taken the, an interest in my uh, football career and my life, I'll show them what I'm up to, say I'm just having a Sunday dinner with my friends, and then the rest of your Sunday afternoon is filled with people replying, going, you're shit, you wanker, <laughs> fuck off. Then you might just say, well, maybe I won't show them what I'm having for dinner anymore, and that wall goes oh, back no. up. Oh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, it goes both ways, because people say, we want more access to these people who are ridiculously overpaid and are sent out into a... Um, a whole other stratosphere from the world we live in. And then when they say, all right, then, well, we'll I'll show you a bit of my life and, and try to narrow the gap a bit. Thousands of people call them a wanker and say, fine, I'll put the wall back up again. It's just showing a, a level of normalness that these players have got. Yeah. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When we, we think they're all dickheads and... Which leads me nicely <laughs> into what we were saying then about Harry Kuhl, a man who perhaps should have a little bit more self-awareness and tact to realise that maybe we don't want to hear from him. Anyway, he's on Twitter. <laughs> And he has had thousands of people telling him he's a... A nasty person. Penis. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what hasn't helped in Harry Cure's case, I mean, I take... I mean, somebody like Andy O'Brien and Lloyd Sam, nice guys, you know, give, give them some uh, some slack. The reaction of the of the Cure family to, um, to the comments from Leeds United fans, not helpful. And uh, to my mind, give them more. <laughs> when, because obviously we kind of hoped that Harry Kuehl would at some point have thought, you know what, after everything, signing for Galatasaray, I can see why that's pissed off a lot of people. However, when those pissed off people are telling him what they thought of that move as soon as he appeared on Twitter, as many of them did, his wife's comments along the lines of, um, you should all shut up, um, you all loved Harry when he played for Leeds, Harry didn't kill anybody, um, and you all need to get lives. Not the kind of... Exactly what I'm talking about. Not really the understanding of the situation that you would hope. Self-awareness, lack of... Yeah. Incredible lack of self-awareness. Extreme lack of... And it just it's brought home the fact that neither Kewell or Murphy um, understands or even cares about the implications of, uh, of his transfer... So um, it's at, Har- is it at QL10, I think, um, if you want to direct your abuse <laughs> in that direction, then uh, then yeah, and you'll, you'll soon be able to, well, you just, you don't even need to know Cherie's Twitter account, because as soon as you start having a go at Harry, she appears like a... a yeah, like a, before you say anymore, we'll move <laughs> yeah. on. Uh, somebody else who's on there, similar vein, Gary Neville, GNEV2. We don't need to say a great deal about him, because this is like, you know, shooting fish in a barrel, but... Gary Neville is on Twitter. Do your worst. <laughs> Seems fair to say, <laughs> yep. doesn't it? Yeah, okay. Um, let's move on to more news now then, something related away from computers and to do with finance. The new applicant season ticket prices are announced. I mean, again, we're in danger of retreading old ground here again and again and again. They're expensive. It's not Fo- surprising. Football's but- gone mad. We knew it was coming. What more can we say about the the prices? £750 seems a little steep, It does I'd say. For yeah. second division football. Mm. I think it's a thing that we're like if we'd have made playoffs and actually gone up to the Premier League. It's a scary it thought, isn't it? Scary. Scandalous. I mean, is it now that the rest of the world seems to be catching up with Ken Bates and his expensive prices so it doesn't seem as bad in the wider context? He's still a step ahead though, is Ken. Because <laughs> there was some defence of them on um, Wacko, someone was saying, oh, even Barnsley's £500 this year, which it isn't. And even if it was, that's still £112 less than our cheapest season ticket. So it's still it's still a way ahead of them. There are a lot of clubs offering much better value. And it's the um, there's something about those prices at the sides where there's no concessions in the East or West stand. It's just 750 quid flat rate, 
like it or lump it. Whereas I like a longer table with more options. You can tell. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if you if you looked at Barnsley's websites and you look at other ticket other clubs ticket availability. There are bands as like if you're bringing a 16 year old in in this area, it's this price and it's cheaper than a normal one. And if you um, if you're in certain areas, then it's it's this price for a 10 year old or whatever. And it's it breaks down so everybody's got an option. If you want to take an under 16 year old into either the west stand or the bits of the east stand that aren't the family stand, you can't because it'd be 750 pounds each and 750 pounds for a 12 year old. It's too much money for a season four. Well, you say, oh, well, go in, go in the family stand there. Well, the family stand's not massive. The family areas aren't huge. And once they're gone, they're gone. My real complaint about the junior tickets is that there's, it makes no difference if you're taking a five-year-old or a 16-year-old. It's still 240 quid, which if you're taking a very young child, it'll spend most of the day kicking the seat in front and eating sweets and... Being sick and... Just yeah. generally going to the toilet and stuff. You're going to look at 240 quid and think, there's no way I can, I'm can. i going to justify paying that when they're going to watch maybe. They might enjoy going to the game, but they're realistically not going to properly understand what's going on. Well, we've said that before where we've linked... Uh, we've shown prices for other teams where they show under fives will be free or up to te- up to te- as Moscow was just saying, under tens you have a certain price band because they're going to enjoy the game Tiered pricing, levels. just tiered yeah. pricing, it's just common sense. But you're not it? encouraging any of those kids to go on their own, which I used to go when I was 13, 14. There were no cars on the road then, though. It was, it was safer true. to get there. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> We've been waiting for that for 13 podcasts. It's finally snapped. <laughs> but no, yeah, let's, again, with, we're in danger of repeating ourselves ad nauseum here because we say it every time. Because they put them up every season. <laughs> yes, I know, but he started it. No, no foresight, no long-term policy. It, well, it doesn't encourage anyone to turn up and think, oh, a season ticket, that's that's an attractive proposition yeah. at £612. It's well, I'm already problem. worried for next season because I renewed in January and the price, now if I, if I hadn't renewed, my price would be £130, £140 in this August and it will be if I, when I renewed in January. So I'm already worried about what it's going to be to renew next season because mm. it'll be higher than that and I know there's a good chance I won't be here for to go. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's not even anywhere for you to water your horse while the game's on, <laughs> etc. Do we think there's ever any scope for the club moving on this Because whilst Bates is in charge because there's clearly something fundamentally wrong with a large degree of, of the, the season ticket pricing because the season ticket base is not very big. Brighton have outsold us this year. 17,000 season tickets, isn't it? they're sold yeah and that means and that's people complain about the atmosphere at Elland Road as well the atmosphere at Brighton next season is going to be amazing by the end of the year if you've got the same 17,000 people there every single week that's how you build an atmosphere in a football ground not by just having rich people who are rich enough to actually get there and then people who have to pick and choose their games because that's all they can get to anymore and it's the gamble of weighting it all towards casual support and if the team doesn't start doing very well, then the whole thing is in trouble well, yeah, financially speaking. Bates' justification for this is he can make more money by selling match day tickets to people on a game-by-game basis. But that does rely on the team on the pitch that he invests very little in um, coming up with exciting football every year. If next year we're in a relegation battle, who's going to roll up and pay 35 quid to to see a Category A game for a team. It doesn't matter who we're playing. If Leeds United are at the bottom of the table, it shouldn't be Category A. And we've, we've proved it, haven't we, before, that if things start going bad, for example, midweek nights, we can fall below 20,000. And the break-even figure, I would imagine, will be substantially higher than that. So it's it, and, it feels like ever, it's like ever-diminishing ever returns in a way. And the problem is the current regime, because you, you only have to look at any other club 
in the Championship and even in the Premiership. And you find you may not find cheaper tickets, but you'll find a friendlier looking um, pricing policy with the options we talk about of, of getting juniors in at, at more sensible prices and just something that looks a little bit nicer than just 750 NA, NA, NA on the on Yeah, you look, at, you look at this list and it basically screams, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and Just it, buy on the day. Don't even bother with this. What's the it, point? It doesn't... It, it's got to be down to um, Bates and his policies. Just go... Because any other commercial director at any other club would probably look at this and say, why aren't you thinking this through a bit more and, and, and putting in place some policy for families and for the future? That's what everyone else is doing. We're just scalping everybody for as much money as possible. Right, and while we're in the soapboxing mood, let's talk about our new owner at Ellen Road. One Mr Ken Bates has taken over the football club. This should be big news. Yeah, tell us why you think that. Because somebody bought the club. Someone new, someone completely new. Football club got sold and bought. That's the kind of thing that people should would be talking about for weeks. Very, very quickly as well. Yes, it was a shock. Not a hint of any deals going on. A shock sale behind the scenes, just announced, and then sort of within a couple of hours, a lot of people had moved on. Oh, club's been sold. Yeah, yeah. I mean, day to day, I guess the reason there's not been much talk of it is because Bates is running things, and before that, Bates was running things, and before admin, Bates was running things. So, things have stayed a a little bit the same. It's not quite the, the massive upheaval that's always implied by um, football club sold, is it? No. No, it's not Abramovich coming in. Uh, no. I mean, I, I even remember when um, Caspian bought Leeds, when they bought out Leslie Silver and Co. That dragged on for weeks and it was the, the big story of the summer on the back of the papers. We're getting an ice hockey arena. <laughs> <laughs> still, there is still um, talk of a, an ice hockey stadium uh, uh, by the railway line. Somebody else was going to build it, though. But perhaps that's irrelevant now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, yeah, so um, Ken Bates is now officially owns Leeds United. Facetiousness aside, it stuck in the throat a little bit when he's turning around and saying that it's down to pressure from outsiders and the parliamentary committee and, you know, trying to fling mud at other people when, in actual fact, this was all down to the opaque nature of the ownership. Yeah, but I like that he, he ended up saying that because it does feel like, actually, us... And everybody else who's chelped on about this for ages has actually pressure's got to the point where he's actually had to do something about it. I'm sure he didn't want to do this. I think um, the final motivating factor was the pressure from the Premier League, wasn't it? Because this was this was set into motion some weeks prior to us crashing out of the playoff race, and I think it was a case of the Premier League have said, "You either comply with what we want, or we will prevent you coming up." Well, even, and well, there's the issue of the solidarity payments as well that are coming into force this time. So the Premier League's trickling down more money to the Football League and unless you comply with what we want, you won't get the cash. So there's the you know, the influence of 70-odd other clubs. And he even said that. He went and asked um, the Premier League if this new um, ownership structure would be all right. I mean, he didn't run it by... New ownership Leeds. structure or new owner? Because um, well, there is a difference, isn't there? Well, there is a new ownership s- structure with him at the top. But he didn't run it past Leeds United fans and say... Will this this new structure be all right? He went to the Premier League and said, "Will you get me into trouble if I do this, or will this be better?" And they and so he cleared it with them because the people administering the trust were getting a bit fed up. So he says, and given the way that it was announced, if if you listen to his first interview on Yorkshire Radio, which we've got the transcript of on the blog, of course, as we 
get transcripts for all his uh, his interviews. Didn't seem particularly overjoyed to have just taken over a fifty million pound football club. No, he treated it um, with the sort of same respect as George McCartney in his in his interview. He talked for at least as long about that as he did about a complete change in uh, the structure of the club. Yeah, and he, spending vast amounts of money on buying it. You'd think he'd have something to say about that. Well, we don't know if he... Well, I Undisclosed mean, as all uh, well, transactions. But the club have been valued at a, an awful lot of money, according to reports, and Ken didn't have any money, so I don't know. Well, I'm, as I didn't have any money 18 months ago to buy Thorpe Arch and Well, no. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe Astor have, uh, have put their hands in their pockets again. They enjoy helping him out financially. The figures we reckon we've got is club estimated value forty million. It was actually I, I've heard from a source that it was independently valued at fifty million. Right, certainly fifty million has been the asking price that's moved around. Bates left Chelsea. With well, sorry, just to interject, the asking price apparently now has moved up to ninety million. That's as I understand it. That's rather dear. Yeah, we got. Is that post painter? <laughs> um, Bates left Chelsea with seventeen million. From Abramovich, he turned his one pound investment into seventeen million. Just, but, but that was only twenty nine point nine percent of the shares, wasn't it? Um, well, the other shares didn't belong to him. Well, they they were owned offshore, but um, when all those shares were cashed in all at the same time by various offshore entities around the world, all the monies were put into one um, bank account by one Mark Taylor at the Co-op Bank in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, that was good of him handling all that for all those people. So, but how much of it did Ken Bates have? Well, he was given £17 million £17 for his million. share. His personal fortune, according to the Sunday Times Rich List that I last saw, 2006, I think, £30 million they reckon he's got himself. And he says himself that the rest of his money tied up in hotels in South Africa or wherever. He's got his, his, um, his investments all over the place that he can't, he can't turn into money. And yet, he's managed to buy a football club with a, a value of £50 million and an asking price of ninety. With thirty million pounds. Well, let's stop being a bleep. Which would leave him with nothing. Well, let's. He stop. wouldn't be able to pay the pipe maintenance in Monaco if he'd spent all his money yeah, buying Leeds That was United. a figure in two thousand six. You say maybe he's much richer now. Yeah, a lot of things I can happen in that time. Wonder where the money would have he come from. He could have money coming in from all sorts of income. Well, revenues. let's let's stop Seems. being a bleak about this because obviously the the underlying we know what the underlying implication is. I guess the pertinent question is now we've got what we want in terms of transparency. Why does it matter? matters because Bates can't blame other people now if there's a lack of investment or as they have prices go up he can't say oh, well it's over my head is this well there's, there's no book passing anymore funny you should mention the lack of investment because he's he said in the interview with Ben Fry didn't he on Yorkshire Radio that they were as we've heard many times the fabled investors people showing interest in Leeds United uh, have been put off by people questioning the ownership structure so everyone's perfectly happy dealing with his uh, with Sorry, not his opaque organisation, the opaque organisation that went beforehand. Um, they were quite happy to deal with that, but not when people started asking who was behind it. He did also say that when people were coming to invest in Leeds United, he wanted proof that they had funds in a London bank account. In a, yeah, in a British bank, wasn't it? That's right. So, I mean... It, I mean, this implication <clears throat> is that because everybody was kicking up a fuss, nobody would... Um, that the old owners would not invest the money, which they never actually invested any money in Leeds United after buying it. So he's trying to imply that we've done ourselves out of the investment that we weren't getting by forcing them to sell them to a guy who was running the club anyway. Just to pick you up on a point you did mention there about not putting money in, we can categorically say that that is the case, can't we, or to the best of our knowledge, 
Um, we've had the uh, the accounts analysed, which we will come on to momentarily, and th- we can sort of explain what the potted highlights are. They're going to be up on the blog, uh, so have a look on there. But we know now that it's something like seventy grand of the owners' money. This is the previous owners was all that was left in the club in terms of investment by them. Yeah, and they only put in about two and a half million. It was seven million to facilitate the purchase, which has now all gone back, right. apart from. A, a small amount. You would expect a new owner, often they come along with new investments. That's what one of the attractions of having your club bought on the open market is about. When If you look at when um, Aston Villa got sold to Randy Lerner, he turns up and he says, I'm going to invest £100 million in the playing side. We get sold. We don't know how much interest there was. Were there other bidders? Was anybody else coming along and saying, oh, it's Leeds United for sale. I've got 100 million quid here that I'll I'll invest and it'll be brilliant. I'll build the hotel and the team. Uh, but we don't know. All we know is that we used to have some owners who weren't investing any money um, and what money they did invest they've taken back. Um, and now we've got a new owner who hasn't said a damn thing about changing anything. Well, all he said is we're, we're not going to break the bank again, hasn't he? Oh, well, all he said is just that his name is now... Above the door. Above the door, and nothing else will change. And I don't think it's good enough. Let's move on to the accounts now then. They were compiled in February, signed off in February, but didn't make it to Company's House until well after the filing deadline, which invites fines, not a great deal of money, I don't think it's a couple of hundred quid, but still. To be fair to Leeds United, I still haven't filled the census form in. <laughs> so It's on my to-do list. I've got it, it's on my desk at home, but... So, um, accounts now at company's house we've as we just said had them analyzed and there are some really interesting points to pick out there it's quite wordy the whole thing it's a bit confusing it's almost say. deliberately complicated yeah uh, you might say uh, in a, a web of companies to use a phrase but should we try and pick out the highlights and make it digestible for the listener a little bit so overall the club looking like it's in, in a better position than it was 12 months previously that's the the kind of key point in turnovers profit, bang up, isn't yeah. it um, and profit has gone up, common to turnover, um, which you would hope would happen. The interesting stuff that you sort of, we can sort of pick out below the surface that's come from our analyst is that first up, uh, we, we said a little earlier about the people who owned the club prior to Ken. Obviously, we can refer to them as Ken next year, but they've still not invested anything into the club apart from the initial half a million pounds, of which 441,000 has currently been provided to another group company. So that will be... Yorkshire Radio or Leeds City Holdings. We don't know which one yet. Yeah, it's not separated out in the accounts. Is it's just because there's no dem- demonstration of transfers within the group of cash. Sorry if this is boring you, by the way, <laughs> if you're listening. This is Moneybox Live on Radio <laughs> Four. Uh, yeah, the club continues to rely on selling talent to make a profit. That much yes, is obvious because that's me. one thing that they always sort of quietly don't trumpet as loudly on the um, when they announce because they announce Leeds United has made a profit. Actually, we made a loss, but then we sold some players and we made a profit. So if it wasn't for selling players in this period, there would have been an operating loss, wouldn't there? Yeah, and the situation with the Delft money as well. We do know now from the analysis that that money, or all transfer monies that we are owed from that period, have pretty much come in. And I think the only thing that could be outstanding is if there's a, a clause, if he wins the World Cup for England and we get five grand, that kind of money... It just doesn't show up. So, but anything actually outstanding due to be paid that we could invoice Aston Villa for, we have got. Which begs the question: Why Ken 
at that Lorimer's Bar event and thought we'd not had any of it, which is what he stated, which is quite a long way off the truth. If we've had all of it and he thought we'd had none of it. Maybe that's, that's 100% difference. That is. Maybe someone else had opened his letter or something with the check in it and he, he thought he was still waiting for Didn't it. Didn't someone backtrack on that? Yeah, it was the, club, the club backtracked on it the next day. But as the chairman, you would expect him to have some knowledge of several million pounds coming into the club. Well, and on those accounts as well, which will include the Man United FA Cup and Spurs FA Cup ties, which will increase revenue, which meant the need for player sales was even greater to make a profit. I think Gosh, it's worrying yeah. that we often hear about this break-even mark for um, for attendances, and we exceed that, and yet we still don't break even. We still made an operating loss. It's a worry we? for me. Another thing that we uh, deduced from these that our analysts told us was that it looks like any funds that become available... Uh, continue to be spent on infrastructure rather than the squad. So we should we should take that with a pinch of salt and with a note of caution um, because there obviously is some investment in the squad, but wages as a percentage of turnover, it looks like, is it 50? It's just over 50. Just over 50%. Is steady from the season before. I think it was like uh, 50% the season before and then 52%. And remember, we're talking about last season. This is This is still League One era, so it stayed roughly about the same. Um, and it's interesting, UEFA's, UEFA did a report um, a while ago about what was a, a clever way or a sensible way of running a football club because not many people do that kind of thing. Um, and they worked out that 70% of turnover being spelled, spent on wages was about the maximum. 60% on turnover sensible was sensible. It was 50 to 60%, wasn't it? The yeah, and yeah. we're at the very low end. We're spending 50% of turnover on wages. And I think... Um, our analyst friend has worked out that means there's about five million pounds a year difference between if we paid fifty percent and seventy percent. So we could have paid out an extra five million quid in wages in our last season in League One and still not Be- have gone over the line that you wafers say. Whoa, daddy! So, so there is some um, suggesting that we could be spending more on wages than we were, and the. Um, interesting aspect is so if we're slightly underspending on wages it does seem that we are overspending as a percentage of turnover on sundries an awful lot of money is sort of going on on well okay then let's let's insert a little caveat and say there's nothing wrong with being conservative on wages no it's stopping the club going bust you know everyone counters the spend more money on players argument with well look what happened under Ridsdale so if we take that on its own move that to one side say but the alarming thing is the other costs which seem to be considerably higher than anybody else in, the, in that division and it's alarming that it's, it is labelled as other there's no breakdown at all which is almost like they don't want you to know where it is going exactly at least with the wages we know where it's gone we know Jason Crow left with a, a suitcase full of money he didn't deserve other there's several suitcases of money that are just equally undeserved well, we we don't know. Perhaps they perhaps they represent fantastic value. We've just got absolutely no way of knowing. But they they are um, yeah conservative on the player side is one thing. But we got a little, perhaps a little bit of leeway to pay a little bit more. Perhaps it was um, being generous, conservative in advance of promotion because that obviously the wage bill would have gone up when all the clauses uh, clauses came in. But likewise, turnover in in the championship would have increased too. So our analyst actually said in one of his concluding notes was there is evidence of strong financial management in the wage structure, but it's negated by heavy spending elsewhere on unknown items. That's just to sort of draw that point together. Um, he also mentioned that Mark Taylor, up to the close of these accounts, is still making a lot of money out of the club. It was uh, 200 thousand out of this set of accounts, which is, is a lot of money. 
He's always in there on the accounts, isn't he? Just he has like his separate item, just legal fees and other services. RM Taylor, and then a, a big number. Well, he's no longer a director as well, so he's no um, longer a friend of Ken Bates either. Well, if, we uh, reports are to be believed. That's but. pure speculation. We don't know, do we? The the interesting point I think is, um, and we're getting into the realms of proper accountant speak now. So sorry if this is making you want to switch off. Or, sorry if we sound like idiots. Yeah, but we're trying to put this into lay terms that everyone can understand because we've spent. Hours we don't yeah, we're trying to figure it out. But what he said is that as we sit here today with the £7 million that we've paid off um, for the administration, uh, which has been paid off and settled now, um, it's still weighing the club down. It says the club's liquidity, which is the ability for it to pay its short-term debts, it's measured by looking at the difference between assets that we have that we can turn into cash um, and liabilities. That's basically things we have to pay for at some point. Um, and he's saying there's quite a substantial shortfall. So if all our debts got called in at once versus what we can turn into cash to pay them off, we'd be in trouble. There's a liquidity problem. This is, I think that's as best as we can explain it. And he does balance that out by saying it's a problem that most football clubs have. Yeah. That if, if you went to any football club now with a list of all their money owing, said, you pay that back now, they just close. Well, so. it's, essentially, it's the reason why we sold Ella Road because everything else had gone. There's nothing else you could turn into into cash. It was a case of cash via the stadium, wasn't it? So Yeah, and without the stadium and without the training grounds, which the situation was still in, we don't really have anything. So just looking at the slightly wider picture then, there's the Leeds City Holding Group, which in this account includes Leeds United Football Club Limited and Yorkshire Radio. Um, so you may be aware that Yorkshire Radio made a small profit of £155,000. Um, this is after two years of uh, £600,000 losses. But overall, the group, the Leeds City Holding Group, actually made a loss of £636,000. Um, so you can offset the profit made by Yorkshire Radio against the loss of £636,000, which leads us £400,000 with a deficit within the group. It's worth mentioning about Yorkshire Radio that it was never quite explained how it made a loss because it doesn't appear to have any overheads or it's employees. Got, it's got no employees and no income. Apparently. So how how you would lose money while not paying anyone's wages off or anything. It was always a bit confusing, um, but now it has made a profit. So Which is equally confusing. <laughs> but it's, it's also worth saying that what isn't shown in this set of accounts, because there's no requirement for disclosure, is we don't know the transactions that have taken place within the group. So we don't know what money's gone between Leeds United and Yorkshire Radio. We don't know what money's gone between Yorkshire Radio and Leeds City Holdings. So in that triangle of companies, we don't know who has paid what for what. So Somebody lost £600,000. So the group has lost £636,000 overall. So that's the wider picture. So whilst the club has made a profit based on selling Fabian Delph, the wider picture is a little bit more compact than that, should we say, and there's that... £600,000 loss in there. So sorry if we've kind of uh, hurt your ears and your brain with that and it's all a little bit serious, but if you're interested in following up the information on that, we've got a blog post about the accounts, so hopefully you'll be able to sort of have a read-through and digest it in your own time and make head and tail of it. And I assume you have to sympathise with uh, Ken Bates, probably had to go through this process before buying the club as well to see just what he was getting into. I imagine he was as confused as we are. Normally in the final part of the Square Ball podcast, we will be previewing what's coming up across the summer, but it's nothing but a barren wasteland of sun and emptiness. No Leeds United now for three months, thank God. I must admit, when I've seen the playoffs, a little bit of me has been quite pleased we're not in there. It's been rubbish be, so far. Because we'd be losing, mm. and I'd be disappointed. We could be Nottingham Forest. I mean, we're recording this whatsoever. the Swansea-Nottingham Forest second leg is in 
uh, in progress and Forrest the choking again, which is great. Obviously, if the uh, end result changes, we'll edit this part out. So, yeah. ha ha, Billy Davis, up yours. <laughs> oh, well done, Billy Davis. Is a part of you quite not pleased we missed out on the playoffs, but we can, yeah, we can do without the hassle. Let's just have a nice little relaxing ease yeah. into the The summer. worry was we'd have got through the semis and got to Wembley and we'd have had all that I couldn't, heartache. I couldn't, no, not having that. No. Not today. Not this time. I'm um, glad we've missed out. Yeah. We weren't ready for it, really, were we? We'll be stronger next year. I mean, all the signs are with uh, with us letting some of our best players in Richard Naylor leave and Simon Grayson saying he hopes not to sign too many bad players. Big challenges coming up next year. <laughs> we'll be all right. I mean, I, I, I've had little waves of optimism about next year already. For... You told us earlier this year, though, that we were going up. You were you adamant. Did. You did. Don't persecute me for this, for my views. I just, you know, I, I just thought we, we had a run of... Mind you, blame Eddie Gray. He's the one who's perpetually saying that, oh, Leeds will go up easy this year. And then... We just fell away. So are you telling All us that Eddie Gray things. tells you what to say? Why don't we just get Eddie Gray in? He has a brilliant football career. He's far too optimistic, but he knows a lot more about football than I do. Yeah, by the end of it, I was just ready for packing it in, have a few weeks off and see what happens with the summer. I think it was the Palace game in some ways, wasn't it? Killed the mood. Well, I started to mentally give up on it at Derby, actually, when we were all stood there. And I just thought, you know what? I'm not bringing these wankers to the game with me anyway. <laughs> this has ruined it. No. I, I did. I, just, I thought the way it had gone. I thought we, we just this was the one game we needed to win, and we're just not going to do it. It's not. It's not our time. It was this that season. bottle of Baileys you had on your chips? Yeah, you got curry was, on your yeah. chips instead. Not a fantastic end to the season, but you know, at least they rounded it off with a couple of decent wins, and we can go into the summer and think, you know, we're all right. We might do all right next year, maybe this time next year, Rodney. Hmm. Scrambling to stay in the playoffs again. I have um, to stay up last time. Remember? Oh, don't start with that. No. <laughs> No, maybe that's why it was a good thing to miss out on the playoff final, though, because that had a, a profoundly damaging effect on our squad, didn't it? Back then, against Watford. memories of Blackwell. Yes. So yeah, that's that for for this season, games wise. Um, I guess we could quickly give mention to the next games that we know we've got coming up, which are the pre-season games. We've got Rochdale. Um, They're on good form in July. <laughs> uh, Sheffield Wednesday. They've had a great season. And Newcastle. At home. I always worry when we play a pre-season friendly at home because it's lower division teams that play pre-season at home. I always feel a bit... Unless it's a tournament, like the Makita tournament when we had Sampdoria over and Batty got in a fight with Roberto Mancini and had to be substituted for for Mancini's own safety. Well, the good thing with this is that maybe because it's Newcastle, they travel, it's close for them. Decent game. Smith might be there. Someone to abuse. Decent. They'll probably bring a few down as well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's close for them. They'll, They'll pop down the A1 for a couple of hours. Benfica away, this rumour won't go away. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? A little trip to the Algarve. I mean, what could go wrong? Thousands of drunk Leeds fans in the sun. Don't ask Bournemouth. It's still only rumoured so far. We've heard it from Portugal, but Ken Bates' comments about it. He said that, uh, is he ne- blaming the foreigners again? He said negotiations with overseas people is very lengthy and frustrating, which is an interesting one. Somebody based in Monaco with companies based in... Uh, um, the Caribbean, and that he's also he's phrased it like a foreigner would have uh, said it in English. Negotiations with overseas people is very lengthy and frustrating. Patois from Bates. <laughs> we missed the trick there. We should have said said a sportsman from Benfica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can we just go back and do that? From our point of view, Squareball Magazine will be returning next season. We're uh, putting together plans for how it's going to look and what it's going to be like. I'm not sure about whether it's going to be 96 pages or 84, are we? You, you're undecided so far. I'm decided it's probably not going up from 48 if I've got anything to do with it. But yeah, we'll uh, we'll post full details on that and subscription details 
um, in the forthcoming weeks. We're moving our website excitingly for you geeks. We're moving it to a new server. So we're going to get the uh, the new shop up and running when uh, when it's all in the new server. Subscription details will be up on there. So keep out an eye for that. Accountancy and servers, all on the one podcast. It just gets more and more interesting. <laughs> There's probably nobody still listening at this point, so it's fine to mention I've, uh, I've got some interesting stats, apparently. Um, the uh, When we brought a substitute on in the uh, last ten minutes of the game, um, it tended to... Uh, I don't know, I'm just waffling through. We were actually going to do an extra segment in this podcast, um, doing a season roundup and review, but we've decided whilst this has been in progress that because we've waffled on for so long about servers and blooming accountancy and stuff like that, that we'll save it for uh, for another pod and we'll come back in another couple of weeks and do a season roundup once the playoffs are out of the way and we know exactly who's going to be in this division. And that we'll be playing Forest again. And we will be playing Forest again unless something very bad has happened uh, down at Swansea. So um, I guess, is that it for this regular season? We're going to have a post-season pod. If it is, then all is left for me to say is get yourself onto the website, that's thesquareball.net. Get in touch with us if you'd like to speak to us over the summer. Podcast at thesquareball.net via email. Of course, we're on Facebook. You can tweet us at thesquareball as well. For now then, until we speak to you next time, goodbye from me. Bye from Michael Normanton. Goodbye. Bye from Moscow White. Goodbye. And bye from Oddy. Goodbye. We will speak to you again in a couple of weeks. My missus will be pleased. And uh, we look forward to speaking to you then. The Squareball Podcast, supported by thegeldedend.com. Just as a little postscript to this Square Ball podcast, we can now report that Nottingham Forest have lost in the playoffs and they will be playing in the Championship, playing football against Leeds United next season. So I think that's well and truly job done. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.